Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, the sweetness of your words uh, speaks to my heart. I pray that it would begin to give life to each one of our hearts. It would strengthen us in you and the true life, the strong life, the life that is eternal, the joy of knowing you, of being known by you. I pray that that would be the gift of this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're at a point in the story of the gospel where Jesus is uh, very shortly going to go to his suffering and his death. So he's doing a lot of things to give last words of direction and of guidance and of reassurance to the disciples so that when they face that moment of crisis, um, they're strong. And so this is one of those teachings right in the midst of that phase before he's going to go to the cross. And it's going to be a shattering experience to the disciples who, at that point, are so disoriented by it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that the Messiah would actually come and he would suffer and die. That was not what they expected. He'd been trying to get that across to them for quite a while, but when it actually happens, it's a shocking and disturbing reality. And so he gives them this word amongst a few others and some prayers as well. And this happens right after... He gives communion, and he uses this analogy of the vine. It's an organic analogy. It's a, an analogy of growing, of the vine and the branches, and it speaks about the, the grapes of life, the grapes of the fruitfulness of life. Um, it was an image that was often used of Israel, as we saw in our first readings, and it spoke of the provision of God. It spoke of how he was blessing Israel and anyone who would be his people you were to be like a branch in the vine. And Israel was meant to live and feed off of the vine, which is God. And Jesus is now representing himself as that, that Israel has now taken on flesh in Christ and all the promises of fruitfulness and real life are being fulfilled in him. And he wants them to really enter into that. He's been calling them to himself, asking them to stay with him in different ways, and that meant literally staying with him, living with him a lot, and now he's talking about the vine. And it gets really intimate. It's intimate in the sense that like he's asking, he's, he's, he's showing us how we're so connected to him if we're really with him, that it's like, it's like being attached to a vine, to a vine, excuse me. <laughs> it's like being attached to a vine. And it's, it's intense. And the, when we're baptized, right, a lot of the imagery that the early church used to use is like being grafted into it. So much so you're like grafted into it that like the blood of the vine is flowing into your life. His blood is flowing into yours. His strength is becoming your strength. So this is very, very intimate. And it comes through his body ultimately. The body that pours out the blood and the water. And so this is the image that he uses. And it was... It was Israel's main, one of the main images that was used of Israel for many centuries. So there's a couple of things that come across to me out of this image. One is that it's immersive. I mean, it's like you're, you're, everything about your life is dependent upon the vine. Everything is sourced in the vine. Everything that you need to survive and thrive is sourced in the vine. But the other thing is that um, the father, who's the vine dresser, 
is doing some, some work that maybe isn't so pleasing. It's a kind of a cutting. He'll prune things away, or sometimes the word is used to cleanse. Um, it's the same word that we get the word catharsis from. It's this idea that you cut away in order to open up. So these two images, I want to trade these back and forth a little bit, the immersive way of being in the vine, but how sometimes that involves a cutting. The other thing I want to notice right at the beginning is that I wonder if the distress that Jesus is preparing them for, the, the cutting or the piercing of his own heart, and how disturbing that would be in a, in a piercing, if you, if you will, of their own dreams, in a cutting away of the false versions of those dreams. I wonder if what he's saying is the vine way of being and the branch in the vine, if you allow me to work with you, you immerse yourself in me and you let me cut away everything that's not of you, you will be so plugged into life that even the things that are cutting and hurting can be filled with his life. I wonder if that's what he's saying. I think in many ways that is in fact what he is saying. So on the immersive piece, one of the things that um, I see in Israel, and if you think about this from a vine standpoint, is that their entire life they would have understood to be associated with the fact that God had chosen them. God had elected them, right? And that's a, that's a different thing for us, right? We typically think of our lives as being our choice and our election. I mean, we elect our, you know, our political representatives. The people who have a say in our lives, we get to choose them. But this is different. God's elected them to be under his governance, and so he, they understand at some level when Israel's really being Israel, that they have to look to him. And the ways that God gave them to look to him were manifold. Um, it was seasonal, right? The, a vine and, and the branches, like the grapevine, it's a seasonal fruit. So there's things that happen at different times of the year. There's this time of dormition, if you will, and rest, where nothing is happening during the winter. But then there's the time of, of the growing and the, um, and the watering and the fruit bearing, and then the, the harvesting, and then the pruning back for more in the next season. And Israel understood that everything about life was meant to be rooted in and fed by and participating in this, this plan that God had elected them to be part of. And so all of his words that he had given to the prophets, especially Moses, and all of the, the feasts that he had given them to remember him by, the, the feast of the Passover, the feast of the tabernacles, of their time in the wilderness, and everything in life was meant to be woven into and understood as to be a product of God, of his life, of his love, of his blessing, of his promises fulfilled. And so they were immersed in it when Israel was being Israel. Um, I don't know how you think of your relationship with the Lord, but is it immersive? I mean, is every part of your life under the direction of God and dependent upon the life of God and the Holy Spirit who breathes that life into you and, and, and who causes it to flow in you? Is it? There's ways that we do that in our church. Um, and it, 
It's something that I think has been part of us from the beginning, and it's, it's the great tradition of the church. Um, but there's ways in which it needs to fan out into the rest of our lives. Um, one of the ways we participate in the vine that can be incredibly powerful is, is the Eucharist, right? It's a meal. But what about the meals at our own homes? I mean, how much do we understand? Like, maybe sometimes we pray grace, but in our day and age, do we even gather for a meal? Do we spend time with one another around table? Do we understand it when we say grace that we're receiving it as a gift that comes out of his love for us? And can we share that with one another as an expression of love for one another? I mean, do we understand that our work even is a gift that we get to participate in laboring in the vineyard, if you will, of our own gardens because he's made it possible for us to do so? He's given us a, a little promised land, if you will, in which we can fulfill our calling and bear fruit, you know, in keeping with him. You know, what we see with Jesus is such an intense way of discipleship. He, he asks the, the apostles, who, the disciples who became the apostles, to stay with him all the time, like to immerse themselves in him. And I think what we do is we let ourselves off the hook a little bit too easily in our, in our culture. We think of ourselves as individuals. We don't understand that we're meant to be part of a greater purpose and a greater plan, and we're meant to continuously feed upon and participate in the life of God. We're individuals. This is my project, and this is my thing. This is my family. This is my idea. And we don't see it in connection with God. And I think the Lord's just saying, abide in me. Like a branch abides in the vine. The reason is I want you to bear fruit. Fruit that is lasting. So that's one thing. Is I, I think there's this huge immersive thing. And, um, but I also think that within that, in order to be immersive, things have to be in the right order, right? If order, in order for, maybe I should say it this way, in order for it to be really fruitful, things have to be in the right order. So I'm going to come now to the pruning part, the trimming part, the cutting part, the thing that we don't like. Um, it says that the vine dresser, the father, cuts back for the sake of more life. Now, this is not what any of us really want or like. Um, I don't know how many times things have happened that I've considered a reversal of what I thought God had in mind. The first time I lost a job and I was laid off um, and how upsetting that was. It was a cutting away of something, but God opened up in my heart the possibility that he had something else in mind and my work in the healing ministry just began to explode. It wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had that experience. My own relationship with my wife began to come back more in order and full of life because the Lord cut that back and it was a disaster to begin with. That was my perception and it hurt because I wasn't, I didn't just lose the job, I was fired for, I don't, I don't even remember what. Do you remember what? I can't even remember. I mean, it wasn't breaking the law, but it was a failure to fulfill whatever they had wanted me to fulfill. It was a shameful experience. That was a really tough one. A real big trimming back of my own sense of how things are supposed to be, my own sense of 
of what life is about and how I'm, I see myself, like even providing for my own family. Man, that was hard. I remember um, my dear friend John Fawcett, who is the, um, the, the, the leader of music at our, our parent church, our cathedral, Church of the Resurrection, just a wonderful leader of worship through music and a great heart for that, and a great gift for that. But there came a, a time in his life where something got out of order and it got, it got kind of like stuck in a particular way that he had conceptualized, that he had conceived for himself. And the, um, our bishop at the time realized it's not, it's not moving in with the spirit. John, for whatever reason, isn't able to move with the spirit here. And it wasn't feeding us the way that we were supposed to be fed at that point, but actually there was something even more profound that needed to happen. It was in John's own heart. And so he was, he was moved into a different position, and it was a position where he had to utterly rely upon the Lord and had to reconceive how he understood himself, primarily rooted in God and not in his own sense of calling, as beautiful and as true as that really was about for who he is. And in many ways, what God had to do is to take it away in order to give it to him in a more profound and a deep way that had a ton of fruit. And some of the greatest witness of his life came after that period of time. Glory came after that. Like, glory stronger than death. I can't even go into all of it right now. Um, I, I think one of the things I want to encourage all of us is, it's like, what, what, what is it in our lives that, that um, either is maybe a little bit out of order and we need to bring it back into line so that real fruit can grow? Or maybe there's actually something that the Lord has already cut away. Right? And, so, and it's just, it, sometimes, look, it's just suffering and we have no sense of what God's doing there. And we can only just turn our hearts to the Lord. I want to say something about that in just a second. Help me remember if we have suffering and we don't know what to do. But before that, what I wanna say is that sometimes there's disproportionate attention to things in life. And we've started to overly occupy ourselves with those, like that's really what I'm about, like John's worship, right? Or my job, my sense of vocation. And it got out of order. And so the Lord cut it back in order to give it back to me in a different proportion having replaced it down the scale of hierarchy of, of importance, right? We, I had had the job up here, and it was meant to be down here. And I didn't know that. It had to leave my life for a while and then come back in. One of the things that um, I think you can look at voluntarily is like, what, what is it that maybe in your life the God, that the Lord might right now be saying to you is a little bit out of proportion? I think one of the ways that you might be able to find that is if there's someone or something that is so large in your life that if, if you can't have that or have them in just the way you think you ought to, then life is a disaster. That's what my job was for me. Is there something like that? That you have to have in such a way, in such a proportion that if you don't have it, your life is a disaster? 
It might even be something that's genuinely, truly part of your calling. Like every single one of the disciples are going to have taken away from them their version of being an apostle. And they were apostles. They had to have it recalibrated. Is there something that you have such an insistence upon how it must be and who they must be and how they must be for you that you can't even think of it any other way? That might be an indication. I don't know. Or maybe it's like this. It's like somebody is such an obstacle to you and such an interference unless they're removed out of the way. Or lest this thing that prevents you from fulfilling your destiny, is, it, which is blocking it, you know, is taken out of the way. These people that don't understand that I'm the greatest salesperson that they ever had. <laughs> if they could just be removed. Maybe that's an indication that there's something that the Lord wants to reorder. I'm kind of talking about, you know, obsessive ways of thinking, right? Uh, hopefully that's, that's helpful to you. Um, you know, in, in our lives, and this is the way of Israel, there was an understanding of God being God, of man being man, and that when we as ma man, as men and women, get that straight, then we can bring everything else into order. We properly love God, we properly love our, our spouses, we properly love our families, we properly love our nation, and we properly fulfill our work in that context. But when we get it out of order, God sometimes is going to prune it back. I, let me put it another way. One of the things that I, ha I think happens is we get it really straight. Look, hey, we're, we're Israel, like we're the called people. Or hey, I really am the best um, musician, the best teacher. And so therefore, I have to have this a particular way. And we start to so identify ourselves with that. And we think, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pouring into that. But really what we're, we're confused about is we're seeing ourselves sourced in that, right? Rather than seeing ourselves as pouring into that, I think we're a little confused a lot of times. We actually think that's the source of life. So all of the things that I'm talking about that we can get confused about, they have a proper order in life. And the Lord will prune it back if it's not in the right order. Because what do we have to give apart from him? I mean, Jesus says really clearly, you can't bear fruit apart from me. So if you're not plugged in to him and the flow of life that he has, what's the life that you're constructing? What is it? It's going to die and drop into the dust. Or it's gonna be some expression of your ego and you'll just be one other person in life who's trying to get people to follow them and to look to them as a source. And they get confused about that and we end up confusing them. These are, these are difficult things to really grasp and really difficult things to live by. But I think that's what the Lord wants to root us in. He wants us to root ourselves in this immersiveness in Him ordered by him. And if he prunes things back, or if even there's, I mean, in some way the work of the enemy, he's still there and he wants to work something in your life to get you more firmly fixed to his life flow. So I want to talk a little bit about the suffering piece. 
And Jesus describes this as a, a cutting. It's a cutting back. You know, the thing that had to be cut away from humanity and put to death was our sinfulness. I mean, that really had to die. And Jesus took all of that on himself. I mean, everything that kept us from the flow of life had to be cut away and it had to die. And Jesus was the way in which that happened. The way John describes Jesus um, throughout his gospel, and it seems like a, be a recurring theme, is that it's, it's Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus describes himself as the one on whom they, the, the one, um, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. He's the pierced one. He's cut right at his heart because of our sin. He also says, um, when you have lifted me up, you will know that I am, that I am God. There's this interesting experience of the Lord taking on our pain and suffering, the cutting that we actually do deserve because of our sin, or the cutting that we're suffering from because of the sins of others. That's the suffering piece. He takes upon himself that deep cutting into our humanity and he presses his love right through it. And in the piercing, that love comes right through in the blood and the water. And you, you have this picture in the Gospel of John of Mary and Jesus standing right there. I think it says in Luke that it describes Mary, your own heart will be pierced also. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Mary and John are right there. We're suffering. We're suffering either because of our own sins or we're suffering because of the sins of others against us and it hurts. How are we healed? It's through the blood. It's through the water. It's through the giving up of his spirit. It's his love poured out right there at that moment, in that place. It's the place of transformation. Jesus says it is finished and everything about our lives that is incomplete, he finishes it. In our loneliness, he says, here's your mother, here's your son, you're part of my family. And the cutting begins to, uh, in his own heart, and the cutting of our own uh, unbelievable pain and disorientation in that place begins to be a place of revelation and we know that he is God right there. We know that he is I am. Israel understood this transformation better than we because they knew that there is no meeting with God apart from the shedding of blood. There's no meeting with God apart from a cutting in his heart and a cutting in our heart and then an attachment of the two so that his life can flow through us. That's the only way. They understood that. We want to meet with God. That's the ultimate desire of our heart. And he wants to meet with us so that his joy can be ours. The joy of being with him and the Father and the power of the Spirit, that joy and that love and that sense of belonging can be ours and we can bear fruit in our lives. 
Man, that's what he wants. He wants it so bad, he poured it out upon the cross so that in that place of cutting and piercing, there could be an utter transformation of our humanity and a restoration of our lives to the real promise according to its proper place, according to its right order, under God, filled with his love as a beloved disciple who can then go and love others in in powerful, all-permeating, life-permeating ways. You know, on the side of the pain, when you're in the midst of the cutting, it's hard to understand how it is that God does this work, but come to the place of the piercing. Be there. Behold him whom you have pierced. Look on him. You know, the, the, the only disciple who was there at the time was, was John. And a, and a few of the women, including Jesus' mother. A lot of times we put this off. We're like the disciples. We stay away for a while because we're hurting. So we isolate because we're hurting. We go to our own homes, it says, of the apostles, because we're hurting. That's the time in that place of hurting, in that place of pain, to be right there at the piercing. I want to encourage us today for those things that the Lord may be touching about our own disorder in life. Maybe there's things that have been cut away that he's showing you how he wants you to be planted firmly and fully in him. Maybe there's things he's put his finger on that he knows you need to reorder. So as we come to confession, I want you to bring that cutting to the Lord and open yourselves to him in complete exposure to him. As he's a tender, innocent, compassionate lamb who wants to wash you and take you to himself. In the communion, lean your head right into the heart that was pierced for you and receive again his body and his blood and be full of his life. This place of piercing is not only a place of suffering. What we see at the end of the gospel is this amazing moment where Thomas, who's been away, been isolating, not with the disciples, not really able to perceive the Lord and his resurrection as a result. And then he finally comes at the urging of the disciples. He shows up, and in that room where he said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hands in his side, Jesus shows him his side, his pierced side, and he realizes, my Lord and my God. And he knows a Lord whose love is stronger than death. He knows a Lord whose love is stronger than every separation. He knows a Lord whose life is eternal. And he's, he's now participating again in a powerful, powerful flow of life. May each of us know that wonderful, glorious encounter with the pierced one. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.